my mom was really the first entrepreneur I knew. She owned a, a hair salon in Galveston. And so I uh, assumed entrepreneurship was an opportunity. I assumed women could be CEOs and leaders of great companies. Those are those learnings that you have early on. and You kind of get the bug for it. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super excited to have my next guest here. We have Jason McCann, who is the co-founder of one of my favorite companies. I am actually sitting in front. I could be standing, but (laughs) at the moment, I'm sitting in front of my very desk. Not to be confused, it's not one company, it's very is the name of their company, but it is a desk. And so and it's a great desk. And it is a beautiful wood. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. But it's, uh, it is so gorgeous. I wish I could you've got a butcher block and a reclaimed or two. That's what it is. It's the butcher block. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's so nice. nice. And I get so many compliments on it. And especially since I've been living in my little (laughs) guest room. Yeah, my very has uh has either, and again, I can sort of transform my day by saying, today I'm going to stand or sit, or it's just a whole lot going on. So anyway, I love it. I love it. And we have the co-founder and CEO of Very here. And Jason McCann, very, very excited to have you here. Oh, thanks, Kara. So excited to be here. And we're huge fans of you. And so you you were kind enough to do a a book club for my team just a, a couple months ago, right uh, right before the holiday For break. my book on Daunted, I yes. love it. And oh, it was so great you. to chat with you. My team's still talking about it. And they've all been, we, everybody got a copy as part of Very University. And so love what so you're doing nice. out there. So thank you for, for pushing the entrepreneurial journey for everybody. So great. Well, I really appreciate that. And back in, you founded, co-founded the company in 2013, and uh, so ahead of the curve. I remember <laughs> knowing about you guys, but then I really got to see you, I don't even know if you know this, at EY, at the Entrepreneur of the Year. Anyway, it was, it was so exciting to actually see you. Oh, it was such a surprise to, to win. It was so humbling uh, to get out there and win for the emerging category. And it was like a, a whirlwind tour. An incredible moment in my journey. So I love it. Well, I got to Northern California, but you made it one <laughs> step further. I was a little jealous. I'm not going to lie that night, but it was. Uh, but honestly, the the idea of seeing somebody that has disrupted an industry go and get that honor, I was so excited for you guys because sometimes you see some people. I mean, 
let's just talk quietly about this, but you're like, what is that company? What are they doing? And so when you see one that you're a consumer of and, you know, you know that they're fighting the fight. Anyway, I was I was cheering you on and saying, yeah, it's so great. So anyway, lifelong entrepreneur, Jason has more than 20 years of experience building and running successful companies. And I'll let you jump into this. So what were you doing before co-founding this company? Yeah. So I was president of a company called Jemmy Industries. And so Jemmy makes all those giant inflatables you see out there on people's yards oh, for yeah. Halloween and Christmas. And uh, was is also known for making the singing Big Mouth Billy Bass Fish. And so Dan Flaherty had founded that company back in 1985. And he and I met and went boom and bust together during the dot-com craze in 99. And he had the year of Big Mouth Billy Bass Fish. And so I joined him to help him sort of build, continue to build his business. And he and I became very, very good friends and became president of his company. And Dan was the one that actually had the back pain and stood at the cardboard box that gave us the idea for the Vera desk. And that kind of got us into this chapter. So that's actually how it started, <laughs> just like from the backache. Yeah. So Dan was standing there at his cardboard box. I'd walk into his office. So he was, you know, still chairman of Jemmy and I was president and we were kind of, you know, right across the the area from each other. And I'd walk in there and I go, what are you doing? He goes, ah, oh, I have this back pain. And so I'd stand up at this, at this box and I just feel better. And so I went to my doctor and she said, well, then you need to stand up more. That was, he goes, okay, so I need to get like a standing desk or something. And Rosemary, who was our assistant at, and she was online on Google and doing what everybody does, searching for what's a sit stand desk or what's out there. And all these crazy boxes would start showing up six or eight weeks later. And Dan would call me, go, oh, you got to see this thing. And we would start taking apart these boxes. And the two of us are putting these contraptions together. It was horrible. And so, How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart, Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Dan is very good at product. And he said, well, what if what if I come up? I've got, I've got an idea for a product. So I, I said, hold on a second. I grabbed one of our designers, David Patton, who had joined us, and the three of us sat there and Dan started describing something that would slide out of a box. He could put his laptop on top or his monitors. And David started drawing. And in that three-hour conversation, it turned into what became the first idea for Veridesk. I mean, this was still at the idea stage. You hadn't made the decision, okay, we're going to go build a company together. You you were just a group that was hanging out, chatting about this. Yeah, just sitting here running a whole other company. And, you know, we're running a Christmas and Halloween business. I love it. And Dan's having back pain. And so we're solving the riddle of da- Dan's back pain. And that became the product idea. And I think that kind of starts the journey of thinking about when you can address pain points and come up with solutions and products are one way to do it, technology, services, or others. By coming up with that product idea, it became the genesis for what, what could we create. I love it. Well, and I think that those are really the best companies to your point. And it's, uh, you know, I, I always share with people, I'm an accidental entrepreneur because I had worked for lots of, uh, not lots, but a handful of entrepreneurs. But my goal was never to go, some people 
go down a path where they go and work for entrepreneurs thinking, okay, one day I'm going to go and launch my own thing. I never really thought about it. Did you? Did you think you were going to go and launch a, a, another company or what What was sort of your thinking? Yeah. You know, I, I had grown up, my, my mom was really the first entrepreneur I knew. She owned a, a hair salon in Galveston. Hmm. And so I uh, assumed entrepreneurship was an opportunity. I assumed women could be CEOs and leaders of great companies. That's was, you know, the first job I had was sweeping um, the floor. My mom's, you know, at the hair salon and and Dorothy was teaching me how to fold towels in the back and do the laundry. And, you know, one day she, she said, well, you've got to go get a job. You can't just work for me. And I was, you know, doing all the stuff of, you know, setting up the you know, the Coke cans and the vending machine thinking that wasn't being an entrepreneur with my brother. And she's like, no, 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 you got to get out of here and go find your own thing. And as she was driving me around because I was too young to drive and it was Burger King wouldn't hire me at McDonald's and Pizza Hut, but the manager of Pizza Hut had a brother that owned a beach chair and umbrella company in Galveston. So I started working for him and um, just started to learn the hospitality industry and said, well, I'm going to lease my own beach and buy my own umbrellas. I'm going to figure this thing out. And a couple of years later, I was lucky enough to go into the beach chair and umbrella business. And it was sort of, that's where I got the first taste of it, of watching my mom, having those conversations, um, and then working for another entrepreneur and then trying it on my own and risking everything. I think it was 5,000 bucks. I sold my car and my little Volkswagen convertible and bought a old beat up van to hold all the umbrellas and said, I'm going to go for it. And those were, those are those learnings that you have early on. You kind of get the bug for it. Yeah, definitely. And probably learned about seasonality too, right? I mean, things that, you know, what you, what you learned about beach and beach chairs, I guess in Galveston is probably less, I don't know, maybe there's less seasonality. Oh no, it's the same. It's just like, you know, it's Memorial to Labor Day and July 4th is amazing. You know, it's that the same. And if the Houston economy was strong, it was great. And if the oil bust happened, unfortunately, nobody was coming to Galveston at the time because it's just south of Houston. And so, but I thought, you know, I was going to be in the hotel hospitality industry. I think hotel was on television. There was something glamorous about it. And um, I was looking for schools to, you know, I've got to learn. I got, my mom said if I had to go to school. So I was, I went to the University of Houston. They have the hotel program from Mm -hmm. the Hilton College and had an incredible real fast three-year sprint. I just wanted to get through and start making money. That was sort of my mindset there. And so I did everything, you know, waiting tables and sold glow necklaces at the Astrodome when they had the the rodeo. I love uh, it. Yeah, that's how, that's how you make money is sell glow necklaces in the dark. Um, but you start to learn all these things about just trying to survive and get through. And I went back to Galveston and I started partnering with the gentleman, Mike Dean, that owns a restaurant called Yaga's. And at the time, Yaga's was kind of when Stussy and Massimo and all those t-shirts were really popular. And Yaga's was a reggae-themed restaurant. And I was like, I'm going to open up a Yaga's. And so that was sort of the, <laughs> that was the strategy. And we partnered up and opened up a Yaga's in Houston. And I didn't know anything. And you realize that when you kind of just jump into it both feet first and literally opened up a restaurant and nightclub, had about a year of experience, borrowed every bit of money I could from everybody I knew. And we did it for about two and a half years. And I realized one day the restaurant and nightclub and seven nights a week of live bands was not for me personally, just wasn't my calling. 
And so I reached out and my partners bought me out and I said, I've got to learn finance and marketing and some other stuff. I was a little bit lost because I hadn't made any money. It was a little, you know, just kind of a, a dark period. I said, I've got to do something different. I wasn't feeling it. So I started studying and, and U of H had an MBA program. And so I jumped in there and they had kind of the early phases of their entrepreneurship program, which is now rated number one in the country. They've done some incredible jobs there. I love um, it. But, and so I studied there and one of my former employees owed me a little bit of money and was struggling and he was selling pogs. And those are those little tiny cardboard circles with, with markings on them. And I helped him sell them and he paid me back. And I said, oh my God, we got to go into business selling these things. These will be great. So while I'm getting my master's, we start selling pogs all over Texas, air freighting them in on Continental Airlines. I didn't know anything about the toy industry and I'm distributing pogs all throughout Texas. That is so funny. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I share this with so many people. I share it in my book, but I um, also just have shared it with so many people along the way that it ends up actually not having experience. I don't know if you're more tuned in or, I mean, every time you you probably got a little success, it gave you confidence to say, okay, well, that kind of worked. And then you just kept going, right? And but I, But I think when you know the rules and you know the way that you're supposed to do things, that's not going to allow you to go and have the hockey stick, right? That's right. gonna that's going to put the rails on and do things the way that you're supposed to be doing things. And it, it's the same story for Hint. I mean, as you and I have talked about, over fifty percent of our business is direct to consumer. I mean, people are just starting to do direct to consumer in the beverage industry, and it's just it to me. It just seems. Like, where have you guys been? We've been doing it for seven years. I mean, it's been continu continuing to grow. And, you know, and really, you have to grow that business the right way. You can't just dump it on people and say, okay, we're here. I don't know. I just, I feel like not having that experience is really no matter what. And now you went into pogs and then you went into desks. You had no experience yeah. in, in the desk world. And so talk to us a little bit about that. So you started out. So so yeah. you had the co-founder, you knew you guys were going to go do it. And did you guys quit your jobs or what no, was no. So, so we, you know, we've, Jemmy's one of the largest Christmas and Halloween companies yeah. in the country. And so what we did kind of, we were just like, well, what is this? And do people really love it? So we, we built some prototypes. Dan started feeling better when he stood with the first prototypes. And the whole goal was we just made something we would love. Mm -hmm. And so we started showing it internally to the, our, the current Jemmy employees. And we didn't have enough for everybody to have one. But as soon as we took it from one person and gave it to another person, the person we took it from would say, oh, I'm a little tired this afternoon. My back's hurting. And I didn't know if they were BSing me because I'm the president and they're just being nice to Dan and me because it's, you know, it's like our baby we created or if they were being genuine. And so we said, so we got to show, I said, we got to show it to somebody outside these walls. And so we're like, who knows somebody that has a call center that has a lot of desks. That was our Great strategy. Idea. Yeah. And somebody knew somebody that knew the new president of Verizon in Irving, just down the street, and could get us a meeting. And we're like, okay, sounds great. And Dan and I had just shared a plane, and we're sharing a Wall Street Journal, and Dr. Levine from the Mayo Clinic had just coined the term, sitting is the new smoking. So I'm like, all right, we got a meeting, we got a date, we got a prototype, and we said we're going to go in and see uh, the president. 
And so he was kind enough to see, said, we come walking into this meeting. And the night before I was sitting there, I'm laying there in bed prepping, just like you do for a meeting. And I said, what's he going to be thinking on the other side? I said, well, we're going to do three things. We're going to try to create happier, healthier, more productive workspaces. That's a win for you as a, as a president. It's a win for your employees and your organization. And that's what we went with, with our presentation. Like, hey, sitting is a new smoking, according to the, to the Mayo Clinic. We have a product and it's going to help create a happier, healthy, more productive workspace. And he goes, I have no idea why you're talking to me about this. But let me get my ergonomist and my head of HR. And I looked at David Patton. I was like, what's an ergonomist? And he's like, oh, sit, stand, you know, the carpal tunnel. I was oh like, oh, okay. God. I had no idea what ergonomist was. And they come walking in and the ergonomist is like, oh, this is great. Gives us feedback. And the head of HR said, this is a huge issue. You know, obesity and work, missing work. Back pain is one of the number one reasons people miss work. And we're like, I'm making notes and we're getting feedback. And they said, we want some. How much are they? And we're looking at each other like, uh, how much would you be willing to pay? We have no idea how much they would cost. <laughs> and so we started with, and that's how we did it. And, you know, the, the container store is also their headquarters is right down the street. And they were, and I said, well, they're going to give us feedback if it's ugly or not. They make cool product. And so we went in there and same thing. And they have such a great culture. And I walked in there and they already had standing desks in some of their spaces. And I didn't realize when they bought Alpha that they started making their own office furniture. And I was like, shit, this is like pogs. This thing's a fad. We're dead. We already missed it. And they said, we want to buy some. And I said, why? And they said, well, people are all different heights. They wear different shoes. They want to be able to move their space. Our product, you can't move it or change. Flexibility is key. Okay. Light bulbs are going off. It's addressing back pain. Number one thing, it's now adding flexibility to the workspace. We're on to something. How the hell do we sell it and bring this thing to market? That's amazing. And at that point, how long did it take to get your first product out the door? Yes, we were probably about 120 days and we started selling product and we didn't know how, you know, I was thinking, are we going to sell it at, you know, retailers or what are we going to do? And so we, they started buying ones and twos and tens and we went up to a, a, the biggest trade show for office furniture is called Neocon. And we start said, well, we'll show it there. And so I, you know, rented six booths. And so I put three across from each other. So it looked like we had nine booths. And I told them my people were going to wear big Veridesk t-shirts and stand in the aisle and look like, you know, you can't get past us without pitching our product. And this is all on the sidecar while we've got Jemmy and Christmas and Halloween. And people are walking down the aisle and they're all in their suits. And we look totally out of place. I didn't, I didn't know anything. It's all architect and designers. And they're all it. very nice. And the dealers came through and they said, well, you have to it's called list and discount. You got to raise the price and sell it at 50 off and you have to sell it through a dealer. What? And I said, I don't, and they said, if you want to bring it to market, this is the only way to play. And Dan and I were like, well, if this is, this reminds us of the toy business going bust in the nineties, if this is how it's going to be, then I don't even want to do it. We're going to do a website. He and I joked, we'd never do another.com together, but we did. We turned it on at, at veridesk.com and said, we're going to start selling it direct and bypass all these people. We started doing $10 a day on Google ads and then 50 and 100. And just all of a sudden, it started to happen. People started to buy it. And we were coming back from a flight and we were passing around, a, if you remember, Sky Mall Magazine in the, in the plane. Yeah. We were, we were trapped I had on the seen tarmac. you guys in it. I yeah. know. I, this, I love it. And so we're sitting there and Roger, one of our 
he's now president of Jemmy says, be funny if y'all did an ad in Sky Mall. We're like, oh, this would be great. So we call up there. We're like, you guys have any ad space? How does it work? They were like, for 25 grand, you could buy three months remnant. And I'm like, okay, deal, done. And all of a sudden, our phones light up like crazy. We become the number one selling item in Sky Mall's history. People are ripping out the page. It's, you know, my boss wants me to buy one of these for him or her. And it was like, oh my God, there's something out here. Like we can advertise, we can have this direct relationship with the fan. That's how we want to build this thing. Forget the dealers, forget everything else. You know, look at the way that Elon Musk was disrupting the way autos are sold. Look at the way Amazon was pioneering. Look at the way you, look at the way Craig Hall selling direct wines. Like look at all these other great, companies. And now fast forward to today, we have over 3 million people in 120 different countries that are using that original product. I mean, it's over a million dollars plus. It's it's crazy, crazy. That's that's amazing. And you know, the fact that you're sitting in an airline seat, that probably (laughs) is really sucks, right? And then you're really thinking how much your back hurts. Now you guys need to put the standing desks on the airlines once we right. all get flying oh, again. Hopefully, knock right? on wood. I know. That's Excellent. the that's the next piece of it. So so you get the company going. That was really so was that the moment, the Sky Mall? Was that the moment that you really thought you gosh, I got a business here? Yeah, I think at that point what I what I talked to Dan, I said we need to spin off the company and separate because we the beauty of having the idea inside of Jemmy is we're able to incubate it, nurture it, leverage yeah. the internal resources. But at some point, you know, there was now 10, then 15, then 20 employees focused on Veradesk inside of It's like, okay, we've got two polar opposite businesses. And so we spun off the company from a legal standpoint, started to invest more and more. And I said, what I, what I think we've got here is an opportunity to build something fantastic. And so um, after just a couple of years, we realized this thing could be a rocket ship. And what what do we want to do? So we took this little two, three-year-old business and said, we got to move, we're going to move into a new space. We're going to move across the street and build out its own office and truly see if Very can take off and become something on its own. And that's when we realized it was starting to, to happen. You know, we were doing that. It went from, you know, we were so excited the day we did three orders and it was a thousand bucks to suddenly we filled an entire FedEx trailer and, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars going out a day and I have no idea what I'm doing. We, you know, we've got third-party logistics companies that we're partnering with. We're printing labels and driving them over using Uber drivers to all these different warehouses, slapping labels on them. We're like, we got to do something. We can't just operate this thing on QuickBooks. We've got to got to figure out if we've got something here. And so that's when we decided that we spun off the company and started accelerating the growth. And so how many products did you actually launch with initially? So we had two products and um, at first we called them the single and the dual. And then we showed everybody, they're like, well, a dual sounds like you're at a gunfight in Texas. <laughs> so we rebranded, we, oh we came out with the pro and then we made the keyboard tray lift. So we launched the pro plus and that was before the iPhone, I joke with our friends at Apple. And that was that's how we started, two products. And you go to today, we have a little over 200 in our offering. But it started on that journey of listening to the fans. And they we started getting emails and people saying, do you have an anti-fatigue mat? And I was like, why? And they said, oh, I'm standing on concrete. I've been standing all day. I'm standing on hardwood floors. 
And so I did what I did R and D the old fashioned way. I went onto Amazon and I bought every single product, every mat that people were bundling with our desk that had a decent review. And I lined them all down the hall and I started standing them all on them. And I was like, well, are we going to sell other people's product through our channel of distribution or are we going to create our own? And David said, I can design a better mat and a better packaging and a better experience. In our in Jemmy business, we make more pumpkins almost than God. And we make all those polyurethane pumpkins you see at a Michael's store. And so we said, we'll create our own mat. And that was when the light bulb went off that by having that direct relationship with the fan, we can create more products. And we're not just building a relationship with the customers, but it's fans. And so it became then monitor arms and they're jerry-rigging them to our desks. And we said, sure. We started building our own monitor arms. And then people said, we want a full desk. And I was like, oh my God, there's all these other companies already making electric desks. Why are they going to, why would they buy it from us? And so we did what Apple did on the MP3 product. And we took everybody else's desk apart. Their full electric desk said, we want one that you can assemble in five minutes. Like Dan and, and it's I can't true. It. You can assemble <laughs> yours in five minutes. It, it, I mean, it's amazing. And uh, did you ever see the video that we had? We sent you guys. Uh, yeah, video. Yeah, yes. it was great. It, it was, was a lot awesome. Of, yeah, and it really is super, super easy because I've I've uh, put lots of stuff together, and even when they say it's simple, like the <laughs> IKEA stuff, it's really not. Oh, uh, we always joke that IKEA is like the worst Saturday of your life if yeah. you're trying to build that stuff. It's so stressful on a relationship. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's so true. So, just I always talk about the first product because I think you can get in analysis paralysis and, you know, everything's got to be perfect. Was your first product perfect? Oh, no. And and even <laughs> listening to each customer and, and tweaking it and getting it better, um, that first ergonomy, it's just a little shaping, but we've, I think we've changed it now 22, maybe 23 times the original product, improving it. You know, it was interesting things like I'd never shipped so much product via FedEx and UPS and they were arriving damaged in certain markets. Mm-hmm. So we we started figuring out our packaging was wrong. Our corners were crazy. So we started repacking all the product and then we would ship it back out. And the ones to DC made it, but the ones to Portland didn't. Okay, what did we do different in those two markets? And so we listened to the customers and we just fixed it. You know, I believed what Tony Shea was doing over at Zappos and said, if you don't like it, we'll take it back. But I'd rather you reach out to me and talk to me mm-hmm. and tell me about it. And so I can fix it. But that allowed us to make the product better. And then it allowed them to say, hey, do you have, do you have, could you make, could you make? And we're like, yeah, why not? You know, it started to just elevate my thinking on product ideation doesn't just have to be whatever we're, is in your head. It's listening to your customers, having that relationship and trust, and then try it. And so as we got the monitor arms, for instance, uh, Uber was one of our largest customers. So we sent out about 100 of them to all these different Uber offices. And I said, please try them. Let me know what you think. We don't quite have it perfect yet, but we're trying. And they just started emailing back. Oh, we love it. This one was great. You know, and instantly we knew we had a hot item because then they wanted to buy a bunch of them. And that's how you figure it out. Listening to the fan, tweaking, improving. So I think I think that's so important. What do you think was the biggest challenge that you faced when you got the product in the market. Yeah, I think the, the the biggest challenge is, I think it was initially awareness. And so, you know, the there was that sort of whack-a-mole effect that people were joking about. One person would be brave enough to bring it into their office 
and stand up and sort of be above the cube farm and be standing there. And then all their friends are looking at. So initially it was, you know, is there awareness for it? But then once one person stood up and felt better and that word of mouth spread, mm-hmm. that ripple effect became huge. Then we experienced other growing pains. Like, you know, our largest customer was, yeah, you know, we were, as far as a customer, um, was selling it through that Sky Mall magazine. And so I kind of got addicted to it and said, okay, we're going to do the spread. And then they started, they would take the money, we would ship the product, and then they would pay me. And I didn't really watch it because we had QuickBooks and we were running really fast. And suddenly they owed us a bunch of money and the CFO and the CEO are on the phone with me and they said, oh, everything's going to be fine. But I wasn't really paying attention to the details because I was rapidly growing. Two weeks later, I get this email and says, we filed bankruptcy and we happen to owe you $670,000. Now, I've been through bankruptcies before, but that would have bankrupted me 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been in a position to survive it. So my CFO, Craig Story, reached out. We sold it for roughly 50 cents on the dollar to the first bidder and we moved on. And so each step along the journey has been learning and you turn that learning and that pain into something you can monetize and learn from it and elevate your teams and your culture. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think at some point you just have to put stakes in the ground to figure out when you're moving forward. So, and Craig and I went to college together. You know that story. <laughs> yep. So it's lots of fun to, he's an excellent CFO, Craig, oh, if you're listening. Is, so just the best. Craig is a blessing from God. I'm so grateful he's been with me. Yeah, he's awesome. Well, you said so many things that in in just sharing that story. I think that the other thing, the idea that you actually get on the phone with customers, but you also are really looking at how can I learn from this mistake and be better uh, going forward. And I know that a lot of people, especially during sort of this this challenging time of the pandemic for everybody in 2020 what is the how do you think about the pandemic and what advice can you give to people just who are sitting here saying i should have known i should have done this i should have you know not allowed my uh receivables to go on for that long or uh what what are some of the key things that that you've learned through over time. Yeah, I, th- I think the, you know, the the biggest thing, I think like everybody we had to pivot overnight to work from home. And so we like you thought it would be for weeks and then maybe a couple months and then for a long time. And so we immediately went down to I I realized one a crisis creates clarity and so that was a moment for us to develop a rallying cry and and say that you know we're going to keep rowing until the wind catches our sails and we're going to power through this COVID storm. Mm -hmm. And so being that voice of clarity and optimism for your team members, I started daily emails. I started weekly uh, Zoom calls. Those were the types of communication things. Tactfully or tactically, I started to say, okay, we reached out to our employees and said, what do you need to work from home? What do you need? And we turned that into reaching out to all of our fans saying, how do we help you get through this? And that became products like you're with today. It's like, hey, now you're home for a while. How do we set you up? And so there's all this data now where, you know, maybe 10 to 15% of companies have kind of got a work from home strategy, 
Most of them don't. And so now you're sitting here going, okay, what are we going to do for people? But while the team started to go out, I started to look at our office and go, well, what are we going to do when they start coming back? You know, we, we now create workspaces that elevate people. What am I going to do for my people? And so I had the designers come in. We reached out to our teams in Asia and said, let's redesign the headquarters and put up, you know, we use walls that move and our space moves. And I, we literally transformed the space so that we could welcome our team members back and be safe about it. And then we reached out to our customers and said, hey, this is what we're learning. And so that taking ideas that work for you, now reaching out to your fans and saying, how can I serve and help you as you think about transforming your culture, getting through this storm, these are the things that are working for us. And so just like this podcast today, we need there's ideas that all of us as leaders and CEOs are looking for. And so the, those are the things to share. Some of those can turn into things you sell and monetize and create. And so I think that's how I think about getting through this COVID chapter. So you rebranded. Talk to me a little bit about that. So the very desk to very, so obviously you're doing more than just desks. And so you wanted to kind of branch out, but talk to me a little bit about that. And what are the challenges of rebranding, I guess? And, and are there challenges with rebranding? Yeah, you know, we we started off the company as Veradesk and it all of a sudden became the number one recognized office furniture product. Nobody's heard of some other great brands out there, but you ask consumers, what do you think about office furniture? And they know Veradesk. They may say IKEA or some other words, but it's like, wow, they know Veradesk. But what we recognize is when people would walk into our headquarters and do tours and they started to see all the different products that were for, from soft seating and standing conference tables and walls that move and LED lights and sound machine. It's like, suddenly you're much bigger than that. Why are you called desk? And in elevating our vision, as we started to think about creating the workspace of the future to have positive transformation on cultures and, and really providing space as a service of what are we gonna do? We're already down this road. Um, and so we reached out to Landor and they helped take Federal Express, who my kids have no idea who that is, to FedEx and other great organizations to simplify and focus. And they took us through a process and said, with all the research of current customers and fans, potential, competitive, you know, nature, very works. You own it. It's your trademark. You own the website. It works globally. You ought to go for it. And so we we went on an 18-month journey to figure out how to do it and pull it off. And the team worked tirelessly to get there, cleaned up the logo. We added a little square. You see my ball cap here. I love it. I know you can, but it's like that's a little ode to the box and just all the little details that went around the branding. We celebrated it. We had a multi-million dollar TV campaign, all started hot out of the gate, January 2020 thinking we're going to be direct to the end user. We're come out as very, where you knew us as Veridesk, and we're going to transform your workspace, your corporate offices in 28 days. And that was sort of our messaging that went out. And it worked incredible, obviously, for eight weeks. And then COVID hit and the world changed, but the brand has resonated and we're so excited. And now we've got like very swag and my kids all got it for Christmas. They just think it's cool now. I love it. Wear. And so... It's working and we're, we're pleased that it can allow us to elevate our vision for what we want to do. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really natural tra- transition for you guys. And it, I think it's one where even when I heard that you had rebranded, I thought, oh, I just always call them very desk, but maybe they were always very, I, yeah, right? I, and I, yeah. think, I think there's probably a lot of consumers like me out there. 
what would you say to advice for entrepreneurs who maybe are dealing in these challenging times? I mean, you touched on this a bit. You've been, you've seen a few companies, right? You've seen the, the, the success, you've seen the challenges, what, but yet I wish you could see Jason because he seems very zen and uh, <laughs> at, about this time. And, and I think, what, what do you, what would you say to your, I don't know, your younger self or your, your first time entrepreneur self, however you want to view it? Yeah, I, I you know, I've, I, Craig turned me on to Ryan Holiday and the obstacle is the way. It's been an interesting chapter to, to sort of just one, remain very grateful for whatever position you're in. Totally. Recognize there's probably billions of people that would trade places with you today, no matter what position you're in. And so I sort of wake up with that that thought process and grace that I'm starting at zero every day and I recognize it. And I do like you, I recognize I've today I've got 350 families that count on the decisions I make and I don't take them lightly. It does take a personal toll just on stress and all those things. But starting off with recognizing, you know, be grateful for what you have and trying to find those opportunities out there to be successful and continue to look for the wins and the small wins. And, you know, for us, um, leaning on the team and continuing to find ways to serve others. And so, you know, we have a, a, a volunteer time off program that allows the team members to give back. We give a lot of furniture away. I think we'll, we'll pass $5 million here of furniture that we've donated over the last couple of years to nonprofit organizations. So finding those little nuggets where we can we can inject optimism and hope and serve others suddenly feeds back to everybody. From a strategy standpoint, I think it's reaching out to the fans. So recognizing your team members, your employees, your customers are all facing these stresses. And how do we work together and lean in together on, e on each other to get through this? And I think by doing that, it's allowed us to grow our fan base, grow our our trust on each other. Really, as the I've watched the team become even stronger and lean into our values and be more adamant about the mission that we're on. It's very different the journey, but it's still an incredible journey. So I I would say you know keep doing that. And then the little stuff that I didn't do years ago, where you where I meditate and I force myself to go on long walks. That allows me personally to recharge because if I'm not healthy and recharged and in a good place, my team members are going to feel it. Totally. And so I've got to recognize I got to get, I got to take care of me too. And that's, that's something I didn't do 30 years ago or 20 years ago. So any of those little things, you got to take care of yourself too, to help your team get through this. Yeah, totally. And I think staying healthy and, and I always call it staying a little selfish, right? Mm -hmm. And because I think that that, ultimately helps your team as well, your family, by you getting that time to be able to have a little bit of uh, just kind of get yourself out and uh, get on a walk, get on a run, whatever you need to do in order to do that. I think it's totally important. Obviously, you've seen competition over the years. How, how do you view competition? Because that's always a big question, right? I, I remember when Hint was first starting out. And again, I had never been in the beverage industry. And, and so we went out and raised money and were turned down by a lot of people who we were trying to raise money from because they were terrified of the Cokes and the Pepsis out there. And I really wasn't afraid of them because I felt like we were 
really focused on water and health and innovation and very, very different, but it was still hard, right? Convincing these people. And then when the first first kind of knockoff product of Hint came out, and ultimately we got kicked out of a major retailer by this knockoff product. And I thought, <laughs> oh, it's going to be terrible. And then, you know, what I realized is that sometimes competition actually increases awareness. And if you just focus on what you're doing every single day and doing it really well and creating great products and that are just quality and better and great customer service and servicing the customer, that's really the most important thing. That competition can actually be a great thing, that it can actually just show the customer that you're doing better. I'd be curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think I always operate under the mindset you have to innovate or die. Mm -hmm. And you've got to leapfrog yourself when you think about innovation. So we started as a desktop, you know, on top of desk riser to then saying, hey, could we do a full office? Could we disrupt the entire way that office furniture is bought and sell it direct without a middle person involved? And we said, okay, so we started to figure that out and then elevated our vision to could we buy buildings, lease out office space? fully furnished and create a space as a service model. And so innovating and constantly elevating your game has allowed us to not only what I believe survive this current chapter, but allow us to thrive and position ourselves to be one of the great brands out there. And I said, I want to build a company that can live beyond my lifetime, that can mm-hmm. be beyond me, that's much bigger than me. And I'm 51. So, you know, I only get a few more bites at the apple here. So I want to enjoy the second half. But as I think about it, so constantly innovating, and I think that's allowed us to expand the product offering, has allowed us to also create those moats in our business. So it's not just product, we're now providing service through Verispace. And for Verispace, and now we own giant buildings that you picture what you've got like Verizon and Microsoft or customers, but also some amazing, you know, headquarters are in there for for some great companies. And they lease out fully furnished office space. We treat it like a giant ideation lab. So now we've got Fortune 100s that work out of there. We've got startups that work out of there. And we're different in that we provide enterprise level space as a service And so by innovating and constantly challenging ourselves, it's allowed us to now create even more products. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we've got uh, probably 200 different products in our pipeline that we're sort of ideating here. I've brought about 200 to market. And now we have three, well, two Verispace locations that are open. We just announced our third. So we're actually building one that'll open in summer 2022. And again, I think you've got to constantly push to innovate and come up with the next thing. My mother always joked that the view only changes for the lead dog. So it's very important that you run really fast. She'll, yeah. she'll love that. And learn out. every aspect of <laughs> and learn every aspect of the business too, right? That's right. And yeah, uh, you, are you still involved in innovation? Oh, absolutely. I think, mm-hmm. you know, even Dan Dan too is even more so. I because it's not just the product, right? It's the process, it's the way you talk to customers and fans. It's everything as we continue. So even our technology team is going through an S4 HANA implementation. That's innovation, right? Mm-hmm. We went through five different websites. Our first one was a 3D cart. Now we're on a full Salesforce platform. I mean, things that we're innovating are not just um, product, product, but yeah. it's now what else could we do and how do we create a better business and a business relationship with our fan base? And so I, I think innovation and sprinkling that out throughout the entire organization is critical. Yeah. I always talk about, and actually I wrote an article 
couple weeks ago in LinkedIn about this, that if that the challenge I think for executives is, and, and particularly C-suite executives is that they don't know this about themselves, but as you move up the ladder, you don't learn anymore, right? You teach and you manage. Yeah. And so I think that even in building my company, I'm very involved in innovation because I'm curious and I'm I love the idea of learning. I mean, during this pandemic, we decided I was so tired of smelling bad hand sanitizers. I was calling them rancid before, you know, anybody was actually they were getting recalled. I'm like there is something up here. And then we created an amazing hand sanitizer. And part of it was my own curiosity. And I, I literally, I was calling some of these plants, just trying to figure out how do I get it done. But again, I think that selfishly for me, I wanted to learn. And I wanted to understand that business a little bit better. And it sort of took me back to my roots of being an entrepreneur in the early days of, you know, trying to figure out how do I, what's the supply chain? Is this, you know, is it different? Is it the same? And and bringing kind of that complexity or simplicity back into what we were already doing. And I, I it sounds like you've been super involved in that as well. Yeah, I think, you know, you the beauty of having, whether it's uh, listening to customers or experiencing the pain points yourself it starts to spark all these great ideas. And when you surround yourself with other people that are also curious and they're sharing ideas and what if, and what if, and you know, one of our, our, our core values is believe it's possible. So there's this natural desire to dream even bigger and could we create something different? And so I, I start to think about those things. And so, you know, before the pandemic, we were sitting here going, well, we believe, you know, workspace should be like a canvas and should move. And like when you tour the Google and Facebook headquarters, it should feel like that. And the energy is incredible. And so with COVID hits, and it's kind of like you, it's like, well, now it's on steroids. It's like, mm -hmm. it's so obvious. And everybody wants walls that move and spaces that change. And so, you know, some of these things, it's like, you know, hard work meets that opportunity. And some people define that as luck, but it's you continuing to try things and test things and learn. And then all of a sudden the timing's right. The idea hits and it's even bigger, but then you got to keep going. You got to yeah. keep leapfrogging yourself and, you know, cause I know you're working on other stuff over there. You're not just, it's, you haven't stopped to just hand sanitize. Yeah, no, we're, we're constantly doing lots of fun stuff. You've got some fans stuff. out there that are looking for stuff that smells good. Yeah. Well, we're actually, you, so. we're launching the big one that we've been doing <laughs> since the beginning of the pandemic is a larger size bottle, which is actually mm. launching momentarily. So oh, it, I love that. Yeah. So it's been uh, a lot of fun creating that and trying to figure out the efficiencies. And anyway, it's been, it's been a ton of fun doing that. So, so getting back to the office and who knows when that will happen for yeah. everybody, but <laughs> what were you touched on this, but what do you think the new office looks like? Yeah, it's definitely all built on flexibility. So one, safety is going to be number one. Mm -hmm. So as vaccines start to roll out, definitely going to be, a you know, it's going to change the way people think about trips and all these things. But the idea of, a, of, a, of an office or a space that is for collaboration, communication, culture. And so thinking about spaces like that for organizations, because people like being alone and working on a project, but there's that human nature side of, 
are we smarter and can we create bigger things and ideas when these these sparks happen as we're together and so i think that the workspace of the future is definitely around flexibility we always thought about it as you've got to recruit and retain talent it's a it, the energy of it is what the energy of your culture and your team are going to be like now you've got this extra layer of what's it going to be like in the future mm -hmm. and other pandemics or other things will probably happen. So we always think about walls that move, you know, so our, like we have, a, we have glass walls that you saw in our space that um, you can move as opposed to sheetrock that just is set it and forget it. And you got to toss in a landfill, like could spaces morph and change just like cloud services came out, you know, in the last 10 years and everything's in the cloud. We think of space being like that. And so that's why we're real excited about just dreaming about having that positive, you know, impact on culture and people through a healthy environment, but then it's flexible. It's got to change. It, it, you can't come into a cube farm and think you're going to be stuck there for the next five years of your career. That's not how the world works today or tomorrow. So I think, Jason, adding HEPA filters, that's your next, you just need to- Love it. <laughs> <laughs> develop that. Actually, one of the podcasts that I just did, if you haven't uh, it's. I think it's launching today. Actually, Frank Stevenson. Do you know who Frank? No, no, is? no, I don't. Uh, so Frank, Frank and I were were speaking at NASA, one uh, right in your backyard. Oh yes, uh, not right too down far the away. And a uh, few years ago, and there were thirty entrepreneurs that were invited to come, and I just went because I wanted to, you know, sit inside of the shuttle, and and then suddenly get tapped on the shoulder by this guy who was like, wait, so you developed this product hint. We were, you know, of course I had to send in product to, to NASA in hopes that I could get somebody to actually put it on the next shuttle yes, or something. Put it, but, send it, send it up there. And so uh, he, anyway, we had a very nice conversation. And then after a few minutes, I said, so, so what do you do? And uh, he said, so have you ever heard of the mini Cooper? And I said, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. do I look really stupid? And like I said that to Cooper? him. Yeah. yeah, I said, I, and so then, uh, you know, once we got over that hump, he said, uh, I said, so did you work on the Mini Cooper? And he said, I, I did. And I told him my son, my 18-year-old, loves cars. And he's always figuring out, he's rebuilt a couple of cars, and he's always talking to me about, there's certain things that should be in cars. And anyway, so I said, oh, I'm going to text my son and tell him that I just met the guy uh, that did the Mini Cooper. And he said, uh, and so I text him, Frank Stevenson, and he said, mom, he developed the McLaren and he's been working on the newest Ferrari and he did the BMW oh, that SUV. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I oh was, God. I looked over at him and I said, so is the Mini Cooper all you got? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, you know, and Don't so... You have something a little faster? <laughs> I mean, come on. And he's he's so modest and he's so interesting. And anyway, you have to listen to that podcast. Oh, because I can't wait. He talks about... And so now he's doing... He's worked for all different... I mean, pretty much every company. And he finally decided that he wanted to do his own firm and do some different things. So he's been working on the flying car for Google. And with the pandemic, he's been invited to come in and really re-envision what the car of the future looks like. Do you have plastic? I mean, very similar situation mm -hmm. to you yeah. in many ways, only it's, it's much harder because it's closer. 
right? If you have somebody right. in your car, I mean, do you want plastic in, in the car in between you? Or do you figure out what is really the solution? Is it HEPA filters? Is it? Mm-hmm. And now he's been invited to, uh, he talked about this on, on the podcast to by different cities and, you know, London, as well as New York on the subways and how do we keep people safe? And so, yeah, and and he talked a lot about learning. And so every one of these, I think you get to a point where you're okay. He he knows nothing about subways other than the fact that he goes on them, right? But Uh he said just the idea... How is it different? How is it similar? What can I bring in? And that's the thing that I've really learned about successful entrepreneurs. And even though he hasn't actually built his own car, I mean, he's been working for companies in some ways, he really is an entrepreneur, right? Where he's sort of figuring this stuff out, the first model of lots of different things. But I think he really touched on this, and you definitely have as well, that you know, you just don't know what you don't know, right? And you just go in and you start trying and you start developing that relationship with the customer and you learn. And that's the most important thing about, you know, really being successful, right? Yeah, I've heard, you know, the term entrepreneur, you know, Uh getting inside an organization and having that entrepreneurial mindset. And by having people inside your organization that are like that, they're dreaming it up. You know, they may not be the tip of the spear that's trying to run the organization as a, as a true CEO, but they're inventing the next thing. And so getting people around you that are curious and solving problems and applying it. It's fun. I think is it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's really what I think this life's journey is about, you know, at the end of the day, it's the memories we make and the, the positive impact that we have. And so if you can do that and make some money, have a good time, make a positive impact and create some amazing things with people you love and respect, I don't, that's that's what it's about. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. So Jason McCann, Very, where do people find you and Very, where's the best place? Yeah, so uh, Very, it's V-A-R-I.com is probably the best way to just reach out to us and we would uh, love to help you sort of create your workspace of your dreams. We do free space planning and design so we can design it and ship it out for free and deliver it. It'll be incredible. So And so to easy to help. build. So <laughs> and you're on LinkedIn and well, LinkedIn is definitely the easiest place to find me. Yeah. So if you're looking for but yeah, that's I the love it. Place. Well everybody give great review to this and go buy a desk. You need to have it because you need to have that great standing desk and go ask your employer to pay for it too. Why not? And blame it on Absolutely. us. So say, I was listening to this podcast and, and uh, invest in your team. Invest That's in right. your team. We'll give you all of the buzz terms that you That's need right. in order to make that happen. So, well, thank you so much, Jason. Carrie, and you're awesome. Thank so, you. Yeah, you too. You too. Well, everybody stay safe and come back every Monday, Wednesday. We're doing lots of great interviews like this. So thanks everyone for listening. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Undaunted. 
Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.